Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Junk Time AFL podcast, a very special interview. My name is Michael Chamberlain. Joining me is Adam Rosenbachs. And in our Junk Time interview hall of fame, you only need one name introduction. We've had Cooter, we've had Brownie, and now we've got Juddy. Thanks for coming on, Juddy. Thanks for having me. Hey, mate, look, uh, just before we get started, I would like to apologise and say I'm sorry for harassing you while you're eating your fish and chips on Wigan <laughs> Street. I just, I got excited. I was a bit drunk. Yeah. I you had my jumper on. Say grilled fish That's and feedback. Feedback's feed feed the breakfast of champions, so yeah. I can understand uh, where you're coming from. Do you, so ca- I do you do catch apologize. up with him much? <laughs> Not regularly. No, I drifted. You know, I think... We just now started developing different interests. You must have done something pretty bad for him to be yelling at you. I did want to hog that fish and salad all myself. <laughs> yeah. But um, look, it looked like he probably had a, a pretty tough day, so there's no hard feelings from my end. Now, we've been reading uh, your brand new book, Inside, which is a really, really great read. There's a line in it, I think, I've written down on page 31. You say, uh, I rarely do something if I can't see the point of it. So just a quick question, then why are you on our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been wanting to get on here for a long time. Yeah, esteem. Appreciate yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. And just about building the brand, really. Oh, a brand. A great yeah. brand building opportunity. I think in the book you actually mentioned you don't like the term brand <laughs> as well. Yeah. And, I, and I guess it's always harder doing interviews with people who've read the book. It's yeah. uh, <laughs> proven to be problematic. I mean, you've probably got Dennis Pagan's, uh, even though he never coached you, you've got his words ringing in your ears, don't go down podcast street. <laughs> and that, I think that sticks with a lot of people. So you've got to be very careful. Mate, the book is absolutely fantastic. I loved it. And it's yeah. just got um, just a level of, of intelligence that comes through that is not like the normal footy book and mm. was that obviously that's something that you aimed for but how how long ago did you start planning yeah so i got book? approached first by alan and unwin uh probably about two years ago yep. and they said do you want to write a book and at that stage it wasn't something i thought about yep and i just rolled that around in my head and eventually decided i only wanted to write a book if i thought i could find the process interesting yep. uh, and i thought that was the best chance that some people would then find the book interesting to read and they were really comfortable with um with that um so yeah last november we we hooked in and you know it was really exciting for the first bit yeah and uh just remembering all sorts of stories which you you forget over time was was enjoyable and then probably towards the end when you're on the sixth or seventh time reading through and editing it i yeah. thought what an idiot agreeing to this but, yeah, a bit um, over it. but really happy with how it's all turned out and did you as you um as you start to write the process of the book, like, you know, were you taking notes, like, during meetings and just think, oh, that reminds me of something else, or writing stuff down in your hand during quarter-time huddles, that kind <laughs> of stuff? I was doing a lot of waking up and sort of notepad by yep. my bed. So yep. the first step was about 40, 40 to 45 hours worth of interview with Greg Baum. Yeah, okay. And during that process, that was really triggering a lot of memories to other stories I had. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I was waking up a lot, or just during the day, remembering different ideas that I wanted to put down. And then um, then that just got transcribed word for word in no particular order. And then I went and wrote and fixed up each individual story. Yeah, okay. And was amazed at how often I was telling something 
which was completely different to what I was meaning to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Made you Just worry about how you're living your, your day-to-day life. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I went through that and then Greg put it in a, a story format so it would, could flow and, um, you know, it was a fair, fair bit of work after that and, and that was how it all panned out. Yeah, fantastic. It's really great. Um, I get the feeling, do footballers usually write books at the end of their career just so that when they're not having a shot for goal, someone's you know, calling out, Chapter 7 was shit. <laughs> it, I don't know if that's the reason, but with this book, I mean, I, didn't, I don't feel I exploited any, anybody's personal information. Mm. I had a private conversation with someone. I don't feel I used that um, you know, for the book's benefit. But the book was still very personal in um, you know, thoughts and feelings about things that were going on. When you're a professional athlete, you generally really try and keep most personal things hidden because they're... Um, I guess they show some level of vulnerability and that's something you're trying to avoid as, a, as yep. an athlete. Which is why you never went on Snapchat, for example. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's panned out well for some. <laughs> yeah. I found it uh, deeply personal, just to make your philosophies of life and, uh, and the way you go about things. So, yeah, there was, there was an... I had to say it again, but like intense thought about it. This was not... Dippy Domenico or just call me Dipper. <laughs> like, I think it's one of the most philosophical football books I've read. It's also one of the great books. Let's not, oh, no, unless you know, I get it wrong. Yeah. Although you, it's a great colouring book. <laughs> you do mention it. The colouring books are the ones I can't knock off. The bestsellers list. Are they really? Top two books, colouring book. Oh, third book, cooking book. Maybe your next one could be. Well, I'm a bit flat I didn't include a colouring book at the back of this book. You know, or in the, the colouring section. Like, you know, your book could be. You know how when uh, little kids have those books that have like different... Um, uh, the texture. textures on it, yeah. and you could be like, "Oh, what are you feeling now?" You go, "That's Juddy's shoulders," <laughs> or something like that. That's tight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, can we take you through the body? Because we're fascinated. Are you, how are you feeling at the minute? Are you okay? Are you I'm pretty good. Um, so the knee's healing, mm-hmm. and I've I've started running, and then I get sore a little bit, and I can't run for a week or two. I actually tore my calf three oh. days ago. Oh, man's injury. Running five kilometre an hour. K's on a treadmill, which is wow. that's, that's, that's a that's a good a sign. Really you risk walk. Yeah, that's um, a good sign. You should have retired. Uh, you yeah. should be ready for round one, mate. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so, but having said all that, the, the body's you know it's hanging in there. Because um, you had some, I mean, gruesome injuries. But also, I think uh, we often, as footy fans, we see the you know ankle injury. They're out for eight weeks, but we don't get a full impression of you know the operations and the process. You talk about having wires sticking out of your wrist. Yeah, yeah, the wrist recovery was horrible. Yeah, yeah, and you that got infected. And yeah, it was infected about four months. Oh, yeah. bloody hell! And also um, the vomiting from the. Uh, Tablets, the yeah. anti-inflammatories. Yeah. And then also you were sleeping in a shoulder brace. It was sort of a bra that was connected to my right arm so yeah. my arm wouldn't dislocate while I was asleep. So how long were you doing that for? That was just at the end. That was the last. I, I dislocated my shoulder against West Coast in round two. Yeah. So from then till sort of retirement, the, the brassiere would be out, um, particularly post-games for a few nights. That's yeah. when it seemed to be pretty vulnerable. So, and yeah, but I mean, people have a view about footballers' body when... When it's not their bodies, it's sort of a machine view. It's either broken or fixed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they say, oh, you need an ankle surgery. He's had the surgery. Now he's should fixed. be fine. Like a machine is when yeah. you fix it. But um, we're obviously not machines, and it's never fully fixed. Mm. You're always on some level of continuum between being fit, fully fit, and completely broken. Um, so it's, it's a hard concept for fans to get their head around. But that's the most anxiety-provoking bit about being an athlete: is you get judged on your performances if you're feeling. Fit as a fiddle, and you know some of the times you're, you're obviously not. But having had, I've had a shoulder reconstruction, but just the one. Like for you, like people wouldn't see that. You know, you you weren't able to sleep. You're not able to put your hands above your head without getting mm. like a, a bowl 
out of a cupboard without thinking it's going to sublux or something like that. And yours just sound like the loosest shoulders in the history of football. Just the right one. My left one's all right, but my okay. right shoulder's pretty... Um yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's fried. So yeah, you know the full recos. It'd be nice to so have that one for a little while. The right one, you know, will it pop out? Uh, yeah, well, it's just going to be an ongoing, yeah. ongoing thing. Um, so it'll just be managed, and fingers crossed for stem cell technology improvements. And can I you punch know? you in yeah. the right shoulder? <laughs> <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> we stored Oscar's cord blood. Oh yep. Um, oh, okay, so so if he gets a bloodborne disease, we're both our kids, you can store their cord blood till they're 18, uh-huh. and then you don't need a bone marrow transplant if they ever get sick. Oh, I am just thinking that I may just I get, get, my hand in, get my hand in the till and yeah. use the cord blood from my shoulder. So Oscar's in his teenage years, he gets sick. That's great. He'll come home and be like, oh, it's all right, we've got the cord blood, Dad. I'll be standing there with a brand new shoulders. Yeah. Out of your shoulders, fine. Got some Go, good news Dad, and bad news. Dad's taking pack marks again. <laughs> good news is my shoulders feeling grass. Where did that come from? <laughs> now, Daddy, uh, you know, you're not all sweetness and light, my friend. There was this elevator incident when That's you were right. on a tour. Now, take our take our listeners through that. So that was his bad boy job right here. Yeah. This is yeah. the Jody that pulls the wings off butterflies. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this is the seedy underbelly of, uh, of my teenage years. But I did. Um, I did. We were in a crowded lift pre-game, and I did just push the emergency. You're about sixteen. Sixteen emergency with a few mates. Stop button. Mm-hmm. In a lift, thinking that, that was a button that you pushed and then you pushed it again and the lift got going. Yeah. But turns out it doesn't. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we were stuck in it for about, I don't know, three hours. Oh. So the whole team had gone to the gar- ground. We were getting toast passed through. There was a tiny little crack at the top <laughs> of the lift and you could see the, the people there. Oh. We are getting sort of toast passed down to us <laughs> while we were in the lift. And one of the guys was... Um, bloody claustrophobic, so... That's not what you need. No. It's not what you <laughs> so need was, and where you need He it. was wrapped with me. Um, but, yeah, that was a that was a good life and lesson. And the other one I'm fascinated by, at the end of year 11, you went to schoolies at the Gold Coast. That was now, genius. Now, Jody, obviously, you're under 18, obviously. Technically. And, obviously, there's no way. They're very stringent at the Gold Coast. Oh, absolutely. We know they yeah. do everything 100% yeah. by the law. There's yeah. no way you were getting into pubs and clubs. Absolutely no way. <laughs> no. No, that's all. That's all factually correct. Um, but look, it was a very good week. Very, oh, I could imagine. Um, How did you sweet talk your parents into that? I had a stressful year. I had a very stressful year. Um, You've been stuck in a lift. Stuck in a lift. <laughs> needed to the shoulder Rico. Yeah. And so look, I needed to unwind. And what better way to unwind than a little bit of R and R? Need Cable Avenue. It's a, a seventeen-year-old. And because you did said you, that it, you did, you meet up with a young Carmichael Hunt. No. no. <laughs> Harley Bunnell. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody met up with an old Warwick Kappa, so <laughs> it was all pretty good up there. Weekend at Warwick's. Now, obviously, uh, you said that you wanted to go for schoolies because you knew the next year you were going to be focusing on footy and stuff. And yeah. then how early in the piece did you think there's a big chance that you were going to be going to the west side of the country? Oh, I, th- I knew... Oh. I mean, both Luke Ball, Luke Hodge and I, Yeah, it seemed like we knew really early out we were going to be the top three picks. I would okay. have thought... I would have thought two or three months before the draft. And did that start playing in your mind? Like, did, were you thinking, I, I, I just don't want to go to Perth? Like, had, had you been to Perth at that stage? I'd never ever been to Perth before. No, it wasn't so much a Perth thing. It was really just a strong desire to stay in Melbourne. Yeah. Because you just finished school with your mates. And yeah, absolutely. Just wanting to knock around with them and, uh, you know, go to pubs for the first time. Obviously, yeah. I hadn't been. Never been to Gold Coast. No, um, never, never. Not even, not even schoolies. <laughs> and, uh, and do all that sort of stuff. So, you know, St Kilda had. Pick two and pick five. Um, Fremantle had, I don't know, Hawthorne had pick one, West Coast had pick three. So I thought there was a chance yeah. being in Perth. Um, 
And so, yeah, we were just waiting and seeing. So it was keen to stay in Melbourne. But looking back, was wrapped to have gone to, you know, to such, a, such a... Such a really good club yeah. as well. Um, and obviously was, was there at a pretty fortunate time. Yeah. And you talk about your mates and you have a lot of uh, mates who were skaters. Are you, do you still skate now? Like, do you ride the longboard to work? Like no, a no, I don't. Okay. Um, Race a skater. I'm keen to really hook into uh, <laughs> snowboarding. Yeah, okay. So we went to Whistler last year, last Christmas for two weeks. Yeah. And just loved it. Had a ball. And once the knee's better... Um, That'll be a big part of our family holidays. Yeah, great. For a while, I reckon. Yeah, I'll just give you a word of warning. One of the worst shoulder dislocations I ever did was snowboarding. Was it? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Keep your eye I'll for get that. It's a brassiere. lot of fun. I'll get the brassiere back on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I know Mick let you go on that kind of winter holiday yeah. near the end of your career. Uh, was that something, like, what restrictions do you have when you're an actual a player? Were you allowed to snowboard during the Yeah, so that's season? something I would have never done. Um, Off your own bat, or does the club say? It's actually in your contract. So, sure. what's in your contract you're not allowed to do? It's some really obscure things like indoor soccer. Okay. Taekwondo, yep. like all sorts of obscure things, which most players would never know what's in there. But yeah. Yeah. common sense would tell you you're not going don't skiing or snowboarding. Yeah. But really, those contract things, if you go and you don't hurt yourself, no one cares. Uh-huh. But if you go and you yeah, break something, yeah. all of a sudden, you're an idiot. And that's, and that's fair enough, too. So then what about, uh, who was the, uh, the player who fell off the bike in Bali just recently? Well, bikes would be okay. Yeah, so they don't have restrictions on motorbike. What about barley? What about cooter? Just cooter, cooter area. Cooter's in there. Yeah, cooter's in there. Cooter area. <laughs> yeah, it's the greater cooter area. Hey, can you take us through kind of the day-to-day life? And in, in compared to, well, we've got to start with 2015. So the Monday to Friday of a footy club, how much percentage are you training? How much percentage are you doing meetings? Um, I mean, you were doing a lot of rehabbing and stuff, yeah, I suppose, varies. Well. You know, pre-season program to in-season program is completely different. But even in-season program, you've probably got six hours of movement a day huh? on a full day, um, which is a lot of exercise. Yeah. Now, a lot of that's at low intensity. You might have, you know, two to three hours on the training track um, at relatively high intensity. That's when people get to wear the beanies and stuff like that. Yep. You know, yep. they're not gonna, you know when they're wearing stuff. a beanie, they're not going too hard. No, that's yeah. true. That's true. But then things like your Pilates, you know, yep. yoga, weights, all that sort of stuff. So, um, and then I guess, what would you have in meetings-wise? Maybe eight hours of meetings a week, um, give or take, you know, depending on some one-on-one type meetings as well. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's, look, it's a busy schedule, but your contact hours aren't nearly as much as they are in the real world. Okay. But so you're not... You're not working as much as a nine-to-five. Your contact hours wouldn't be 40 hours a week. Okay. But your downtime is not your own. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, if, yeah. you're, if you're a football and you're playing on a Saturday night, that Saturday morning and Saturday afternoon, you're not saying, oh, let's go out to breakfast, catch up with friends. Your whole day is around how much water do I need, how much time to stretch. Whilst you're not in contact hours, yeah, you're, you're very still focused. sort of working in, yeah. a, in a sense. And, and the, same with the night before or the, yeah. and so on. On so. a Monday, you then got to watch A4360. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, on exactly Sunday, you've watched the bounce for a laugh yep. to unwind. Yeah, that's right. So you need all those kind of things. Caro's arrow, uh, yeah. good yeah. call, bad call on Footy Classified. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did that compare 2015 to 2002? How much had it changed? Oh, a lot. So, I mean, 2002, you just had, you had one meeting after the game as in the next day, or yeah. a review, or two days later. And you had a preview meeting, that was it. No extra meetings. Um, oh, gee. Maybe it's gone up about 30% in terms of contact hours, but then the expectations on what you, you're doing away from the club, and just all sorts of reporting. You know, like modern-day footballs do a wellness report every day on how they're feeling yep. physically, like how sleep, much you slept and all that sort of stuff yeah. so that, that's every day you've got to weigh in every day urine tests most days for hydration yep. those peripheral things which one wow. off one off they don't sound like 
No, well, but daily. Deal. But when it's a list of eight things, they start to sort of... Um, well, you don't miss them, put it that way. Yeah, sure. Well, you'd, you'd have to think about... Just move if, that year on cup away, Adam. Yeah, We're not going to yeah, do that yeah. now. I'm <laughs> not going to do take, that. Well, no, I'm going to sell it on eBay. Um, <laughs> if you had to take a piss before you left for training, you'd be like, maybe I should hold it in because i got to have a whiz when I get there. <laughs> That's right. And you get looked after for lunch and dinner and the like at training? You have... There would be team lunches twice a week. On the uh-huh. big training days, you really don't have much time for lunch because you, you get off the training track and you need to do weights. would start the first group about... 30 to 40 minutes later. Mm-hmm. So it's quite a rush to get some food in. So they'd have food ready to go, wolf that down and, and hook into weights. And we're kind of fa- quite fascinated by the minutiae of the game. Okay, so we're fascinated by the boot starter for one thing. But also, what do you bring into the game yourself? Is it a, just a pair of shorts? Is it a pair of socks? Or how much is so that the everyone's ground? different. I bring, I would always bring my own boots to the game. When I was at West Coast, I would bring everything to the ground myself, except for, um, except for the jumper. Yeah, because I had this big thing about not being reliant on anyone else. Yep. Yeah. So I wouldn't want. I'd make sure I had my own shorts, and I liked a different string in my short than the traditional string. And I bring my own socks because. So I you're very fastidious. Yeah, but I just wanted to be really self-reliant. It's, it's a bit moronic, mm-hmm. but um, I sort of gave that up at Carlton. But I always brought my own boots to and from the ground. And then, how much was the uh, taping? How long would that take? That got uh, progressively a... more and more as I got older but I mean, I'd, get, I'd get to tr- a match about an hour before most people to get the shoulders done and stuff because yep. yep. there's a shot in the book and you're top half of your torso and it's also meeting in the middle like yeah, it's quite yeah. this specific it design growing isn't it? And growing. yeah, yeah. kind of tying <laughs> everything down how, how did you feel when cam guthrie asked for your jumper uh, look it was a nice honor my initial thoughts were just i want to get off the ground as quickly as possible because yeah pumped by that 85 yeah, yeah. So I double check. I think you might have switched that off. Yep. Pop it back on. There we go. Um, to start the answer again. Oh, that's uh, all cool. It came through. Um, yeah. yeah. No, it, it, I felt good. It was, um, as I said at the time, I was just disappointed about losing uh, yeah. such a significant margin. But it was one of those nice uh, moments in my footy career. Yeah. And at that stage, I was sort of half surprised that anyone would still want my jumper. Because oh, I was, come on, buddy. I was going like a shot you <laughs> I was going like a busted ass. And grab that glass of water that you're having. <laughs> <laughs> so you write in the book about the 2013 final against uh, Richmond. Adam, you were there. You said it was one of the most... It was amazing. one of the best days I've ever experienced because we, we were almost six goals down yeah. at the start of the second half and you just went, we're, we're cooked here. It's mm. all over. It was by far my fondest cart memory. It yeah. was just a ripper. The crowd was really loud and really um, undermanned early by the Richmond fans. Yeah. Like yeah. Richmond fans, when we came out in that first half, were so boisterous and outnumbered the Carlton fans, but by the end of the day... Oh, you could hear us coming. Know, the, yeah. It was interesting that you said that the drums that the Richmond people, uh, you know, they bang before they come out or they, you know, start the game really annoyed you because it was like Richmond owned... You know, being in the finals again. Yeah. And it's like, no, how's get fuck sound? You know, there's another team out there. It's just like, you don't deserve it. You don't own it. Yeah. And I really like that, you know, that bothered you as a player. Yeah. That you would even take notice of that and go, no, it's it's not all yours. There's another team out here. Yeah, I think those surroundings and, uh, I don't know, little things on the ground. Um, used to the wear environment off. used yeah. to often have a quite a big impact. Yeah. Often more than something in... A player was trying to, you know, yeah. like a player, if they were trying to get in my face, didn't really yeah, okay. have much influence on me. But things like that, and I, you know, like when the ball would bounce, I was always really conscious of trying to watch the ball really closely and not yeah. just like watch how the light was reflecting off the ball, little things like that. Um, so I think it often felt 
Um, particularly if I was having a good day, I was really in tune with the environment yeah. at the ground and, and not just um, yeah, what was going on with the players around me. And what about when you kicked that goal to put us 10 points up at the city end? That was one of the biggest roars I've yeah. ever heard in my life because off the boot you knew it was going through yeah. and you had that big jump in the air. <laughs> it was great. It, it was a special day. Um, and just, you know, the whole context is we weren't meant to be in the finals. Great. Um, <laughs> finished ninth, ended up playing six goals down. Personally, I sort of wasn't really meant to be playing. So yeah. it was sort of a it – a, it was a good one. Yeah. That was great. And, and in, your, in your time in Perth, like, you look back at that very fondly. Like, do you have any regrets? Like, are you regretting that you're just a, a one-game waffle player? Like, does that stick in your crawl? <laughs> <laughs> no, I look back at – that time was a great time. Yeah. Like, really good fun. Um, well, you're young, you team. Free. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly sad for some of the battles some of the players have gone through yeah. and their families, which is tragic. Um, but still, the vast majority of guys in that team are, you know, living really happy lives in good jobs or doing good stuff. And, um, you know, by and large, that, that group's travelling really well. And how do you feel uh, winning the Norm Smith in a losing grand final? Like, do you get to go to their celebration every 10 years? Yeah. <laughs> You're the best player on the ground. You just walk out and go, hey, fellas. Yeah, that was... Um, it just didn't feel like anything. The disappointment was just as intense as, as anyone else yeah, in, could imagine. in West Coast. Yeah, But I think what, what's different, I think I wrote in the book, is, is just you don't carry that same level of embarrassment around. Sure. So if you contribute yeah, to your okay. team losing a grand final, you're just as disappointed as everyone else in that team. Yep. But you don't walk around feeling that sense of embarrassment for the next three or four months till the season starts. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the time, guys that don't perform in that grand final and their team loses, they really oh. they almost have guilt and embarrassment. Yeah, yeah. That yeah that'd be horrible. To that loss. Um, mm. So you, you don't sort of have to deal with that. But, yeah, certainly that disappointment's immense. I mean, you look at uh, Mick Malthouse saying he wished he'd played Leon Davis, you know, for the second grand final in 2010 because he got, you know, donuts in the first one. Yeah. And just to be able to get him through. And that that would just stick with him for the rest of his life, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it'd be hard being a coach making a lot of those calls. Yeah. Because, um, you know, Leon, like all players, would have dreamed about that from yeah. the age of four. And you just so, have a bad day. Yeah, but... um. You know, I guess you're not there. Everyone there is there to serve the club at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and so I guess you'd reconcile it through that. And you talked about uh, Perth becoming a fishbowl and when after you particularly won the first Brownlow and, you know, winning the flag and everyone. And you, there's a, a chapter in there where you talk about a stalker who had filled uh, bo- bottles of wine at your house with urine. Now, my question to you is, uh, how far through dinner did you realise <laughs> <laughs> that they were uh, full of piss? The sad blocks of this. Yeah, that was, that was a, an interesting time. I, I actually think that was someone else to the stalker. The, um, the urine experiment. Yeah, but right. We'll never know. Um, but they drank some good wines down there. So they drank them first and then... <laughs> really? Them and, then, and then pissed in them? Knows how long they were down wow, there so you escaped, you escaped a stalker in Perth, essentially, and then you came to Melbourne and then you got Husey. It still hasn't been proven that Husey wasn't urinating in those, in those uh, wine bottles. So Wouldn't surprise me. We'll wait and see. So uh, can I ask you very quickly what, uh, what appealed to you about Brendan Bolson? You're on the coaching uh, yeah. committee. Um, Apart from, you know, be upbeat. Gee, Willikers, mister. Yeah, well, I can just drop that off a bit. But uh, the things that appealed to, to me and the rest of the panel were he was or was and is a, a great teacher. Mm-hmm. He's going to be able to develop uh, a young, talented list. And we thought he was going to be really quite innovative. So if I look at 
things Carlton have done in the last eight years. I can't think of many, if any, where we've done something. Other clubs have watched, gone, gee, that's a really good idea. Let's copy that. Yeah, right. And if we're going to be a successful club, well, we need to be innovating again yeah. and not just following trends that other clubs are, are doing, but creating our own uh, own ideas. And I, I think he'll be able to do that. And you talk about in the book about the, the two sackings of Ratton and Malthouse. And even particularly the Mick Malthouse one, you know, you talk about it's brewing, it's brewing, it's brewing, it's brewing. How much do you think the media does contribute to that, despite the fact there are things that people out the front all the time, there are people filming him on his walk to work, they've got a camera in his face the second he's there. Like, do you think the media can contribute a little bit to that? Well, I think they contribute to the level of pressure that everyone at the club is under, and sometimes that level of pressure is a catalyst for change, and... um, causes change to occur quicker than it might otherwise. But, I mean, the biggest contributor to Mick being sacking was us losing by Mm. 100 points every week or regularly. Um, And that's not the media's fault. And that's not just the players' fault. That's everyone at the club um, over a number of years. So when you're at an underperforming club, you find it's easy to blame other people for the problems all the time or yeah. you own a forming club say oh we only just lost that final and then we would have yeah. been in a semi and we could have won yeah. that and then we were, all of a sudden we've got a grand final whereas you, you never hear the, the elite clubs talking like yeah. that so well, Mick got sacked because we were underperforming and, and everyone at the club um, needs to own that and it is like it's a weird thing we were talking uh, off air that uh, you know, what, what do Carlton need to do? Because they've, they've announced a $2 million debt, you know, today and stuff. And, you know, how can we go about getting more members? And, you know, we just said it's, sim- it's as simple as winning, isn't it? You know, people want to get on board the winner and you want to go back and watch a game where you feel like you're a great chance of getting up. You know, if you go out there thinking, oh, we're going to get flogged every week, there's just no desire to go. Yeah, so I mean, Carlton, uh, one of the big uh, drivers for, for the club is to really connect... Um, connect the tribe if you like and yep. make fans feel a part of part of the club again and I don't think anything does that better than winning games of footy yeah. um, or at the very least being really competitive in every game you play Absolutely. Um, and that, that's what makes people proud of their club more so than if you're you know, doing good deeds down at the salvos and yeah. all sorts of meaningful work yeah. but if, if you're not competitive on the field people don't feel connected to the club and, and hence don't want to come and support so that, that's got to be base camp for any footy club and yeah. just on the way here we heard how they want to come and want to get off the off the, the top end of town kind of off that drip and kind of you know stand on their own two feet now you talk about when you were being wooed by Carlton how you went to Raheen for lunch uh, Dick Pratt's uh, house first off do you remember what you had and also, do they have servants and butlers over there? Well, how do billionaires live? They have staff. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> staff. So, is a man with white gloves wandering and, you know, hand you a tray? Uh, Mr Judd, can I, I take your coat? I wearing white gloves, but, yeah, there's, there's, it's a big establishment there, Ryan. Okay. And, and it's half a commercial venture, too. Like, they've got three or four functions there a week. Oh, okay, yeah, so you can rent it out like right. the Playboy oh, mansion. You can hire it out. Yeah, very, very similar to the Playboy <laughs> mansion. Um, so, yeah, so I can't remember what we had, though, but... Maybe with some salmon or um, no, look, I can't remember. But yeah, it's a pretty serious uh, operation. Pretty serious operation down there. And are you enjoying now that because uh, you wrote that you were very you know careful about what you ate? Are you, are you back into cheese? Are you eating salmon? You wouldn't eat avocado. There's mm. a lot of stuff there that wasn't too bad for They're you. No, I know. I, made, I was I was on the wrong path with the avocado <laughs> yeah. and salmon. Good fats, mate. Good yeah, fats. I know. I know. Um, so yeah, I'm eating pretty much everything. Um, Slowly becoming sort of a skinny fat man, which yep, is, good. Uh-huh. is <laughs> the way to do it. Yeah, it's the way, um, it's the way through. But yeah, that, that's um, that's been enjoyable. I've probably been drinking a fair bit more too. 
Oh, we'll wrap up shortly, man. Just one more thing. I thought I think all the junk timers out there want to know. Can you take us through the man cave? Yeah. What have you got in there? Have you got the chest set in there? Yes. Got that back on? Yeah, I was set. fascinated yeah, by that. Up, yeah. The chest sits up above. It's on a bench so that Billy can't get to it. Yep, Judy yep. goes down there and just Young daughter. Yep. the pieces. Yep. Um, just, uh, so put that in context, Judy, you're a huge chess fan. You became a chess fan a few years ago just as like a form of meditation. I guess just so as a bit of a mindfulness exercise. Yep. Just wanting to take up something that I could keep improving at. I was yeah. just starting to struggle with the fact that age was, was taking my best years of footy. Um, Are you good at it? No, I've dropped it off since... Okay. I was playing a bit when I had Oscar. Yep. Once Billy came along, their time yep. commitments were just... Um, Moving more into Hungry Hungry Hippos now. Right. <laughs> Snakes and Ladders we're playing. Oh, yeah. uh, various other games. Are you competitive yeah. of that? Cause you, no, I let it go. But my young fella just cracked it yesterday when he lost Snakes and Ladders. Just <laughs> Fair enough. It's so unfair. It. Yeah. Yeah. You move forward and you go backwards. Yeah. Well, you, you were taunting him too. Yeah. yeah I'll tell you that. Because <laughs> right. yeah. he did talk in the book, hey, one of your early dates with Rebecca was a game of Scrabble. Yeah. Where you... Let her win in the end, and then became annoyed that you let her win. Well, in, I was just dominating early. Yeah, I just felt sorry for her because I thought he was this sort of. Are you like that with anything? Are you just competitive? You want to win? No, I'm not. Wanna... Too, most well, most good players are just super competitive with everything. Yep. I feel I'm competitive about things that are important to me. Yeah, but for for a lot of things, I can I can switch it off. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that Scrabble one did 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 frustrate me a, a bit. Well, and I just, I just want to point out quickly too that this book is very child friendly. There is no swearing in it. You cut out it's like the it's F dot dot dot, yeah. like, yeah. and you've got yeah. to work out what people are saying. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. It could mean anything. Absolutely. Mean anything. Yeah, yeah, when it says C star star star, I've no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. He's talking about Stephen Baker. <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll wrap it up, Jay. Now, we'll, very quickly, we'll finish off with um, uh, you love the footy record. We love the footy record from the 80s. Had the player profile. Yeah. Uh, there's a great Twitter site. I think it's Footy Record Retro. And they went through, uh, I was reading Daisy Williams from the Bombers from the 80s. Uh, oh, his yeah. favourite TV show was ALF. Uh, Why and wouldn't he, it be? And his favourite film, Crocodile Dundee, in brackets. Yep. I've seen it twice. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we thought we'd very quickly take a few questions. Uh, favourite pastimes, hobbies? Uh, going to the beach. Favourite food? Pizza. Favourite drink? Do you eat, sorry, do you eat the pizza with a knife and fork like no, Dean Cox? No. That's It's too weird, isn't it? It's very, very weird. Yeah. Very hard to trust a man that doesn't yeah. eat a pizza. I, I agree Mike with a little high, man. Yeah. Uh, Favourite drink? Now, in the 80s, it's got a lot of bourbon and coke, a lot of southern comfort. No, Maduri? Uh, <laughs> what would my favourite drink be? Uh, probably a glass of red. Favourite singer slash group? Ooh, Alt-J. Uh, oh, yeah, you mentioned Alt-J in the book. Um, Favourite night spot? This was a good one in the 80s. Yeah, nice <laughs> spot. No, you would have headed no. out to Eve, Eve, Eve a couple Barring, of times. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Favourite TV show? Sopranos. And I really hope you give the answer that I, w- I want right here. Favourite film? Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption! Every footballer's favourite film. <laughs> uh, Johnny, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Uh, everybody grab it. It's Inside by Chris Judd. It's a fascinating read. You're going to love it. Uh, Christmas isn't far away, guys. There you go. Get on top of it. Johnny, thanks so much for your time, mate. Thanks, Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. See you later.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.